Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. Valentine's Day is the day that we celebrate love, but we love all year round. Well, Giving Tuesday is the day that we celebrate generosity, but we are learning that generosity all year round is so important for us as humans. Welcome back to episode 31 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today's episode is thanks to the help of our friends over at Neon One for inspiring this Giving Moments mini-series. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Liz Hugeson from Canada Helps and Celeste Flores from Giving Tuesday Global. More specifically, Liz is the Vice President of Partnerships and Giving Tuesday Canada at Canada Helps. In her role, Liz leads the growth and development of the National Giving Tuesday movement across Canada, while also developing and managing key corporate partnerships for Canada Helps. Celeste supports and mobilizes Giving Tuesday's network of 200 plus communities across the United States. This includes engaging with leaders on growth of their local movement, developing collaborations, as well as activating new community campaigns, including diverse communities, causes, and all voices. Both of these women are coming to this conversation today to talk about the Giving Tuesday moment what has created it, what sustains it, and why it's such a powerful expression of generosity and giving around the world. There are a lot of assumptions about Giving Tuesday, that it's all about financial giving, but that couldn't be more wrong. In 2020, the statistics showed that most people participate in Giving Tuesday in more than one way. And inside this episode, you'll learn why that's so important. You'll also learn how Giving Tuesday is actually about a lot more than the Tuesday after Cyber Monday. It's a year-round movement that people feel a deep sense of belonging to. We continue the conversation about peak moments from yesterday's interview with Francesco, and one of the most exciting learnings for me throughout this interview is how easy it actually is to participate in Giving Tuesday. I often hear nonprofit leaders getting caught up in how to do Giving Tuesday perfectly, but that's actually not the point. The point is to have a low barrier to entry, to experiment, and to make it your own. The organizations that have done that have seen huge success. So let's dive in to bust some of these Giving Tuesday myths and learn how you can build this moment into your annual fundraising plan in a sustainable, manageable, and community-based way. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Liz Hugeson from Canada Helps and with Celeste Flores from Giving Tuesday Global. We are going to have an amazing conversation about Giving Tuesday and also a little bit about community giving days and their relationship to each other. So thank you both so much for joining me today. Pleasure. What a conversation. Yeah. Thanks for inviting I feel like we should start with just a little bio about each of you so our listeners can get to know you. Celeste, do you want to start with that? 
Sure. I'm on the Giving Tuesday team and my area of cover is working with our local communities. So there's about 300 local communities Primarily, I work with the U.S., but we have country leaders who also have community campaigns under the Giving Tuesday umbrella. But what we mean by that is there's peoples in towns, states, cities who are organizing some local movement around generosity. And we're there to help support them as leaders and in this movement. And while they're geo-based mostly, we also have a group of leaders who are leading coalition campaigns around a cause or a culture or an identity. And those cross borders. And to me, I feel that community is in the eye of the beholder. And if you have a community you want to create movement with, that's what I love to do. And I did come from that leader community. I was running things in Austin, Texas, doing a Giving Tuesday local movement. And um, then now I'm on the team supporting a lot of people who, like me, who are just doing their thing in the communities. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Liz, tell us a little bit about you and your background and what brings you to this conversation today. Sure. So as you mentioned, Work for Canada House, we're an online platform where Canadians can give to any charity, any registered Canadian charity. So there's 86,000 charities on our platform. And we're also a, a charity. So we operate the platform on a nonprofit basis and offer really affordable technology to any organizations that want to do their fundraising with us. So we helped to launch Giving Tuesday in Canada way back 10 years ago. <laughs> when we first saw it starting in the U.S., we saw this and thought, wow, this is an amazing idea. We'd love to do this in Canada. So we were one of the first countries outside the U.S. Actually, I think we were the first. You were the first. Yeah. So and I've been the doing first this. to also have lo- local community campaigns within Canada. That's right. So I've been involved since then, pretty much helping to organize for Canada. We're not as big a team as Celeste is describing. So we're, uh, yeah, we're a pretty small team with just a couple of us. So I get involved with everything. So we, ha- we, as Celeste mentioned, have 40 local community campaigns and they're geographic. So there are cities and towns and there's also a couple of provinces and we have some cause area campaigns as well. So there's like a literacy one and there's some trade unions that get together to organize giving as a community. And we have a youth movement as well. So we run that within the community network. I've been doing that for about 10 years. This is our 10th anniversary. And it's exciting. We love it. I love it. So I want to start at a foundational level here because I feel like everyone knows what Giving Tuesday is, but I don't know that they necessarily know what is the driving methodology or values behind why it exists. So can we start there? Which of you wants to take that one? I can start there. And then I know Liz will have her take. And that's the beauty of Giving Tuesday. It means different things to different people. And while Giving Tuesday, I think people know what it is. And then once we have a conversation, they don't realize the breadth of it or the actual natural intention of it. It's just morphed into so many things over the last 10 years. So is the day started the Tuesday after Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Tuesday wasn't taken, I guess. And a given week, we just decided on Giving Tuesday. But it has grown so much more than that. It actually supersedes its its origin story where it's global. And what is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving in any other country? But it started as a day to do good, standing up a day in your local community or wherever you are and do good. And it meant anything, expression, generosity in any way that was meaningful to you. 
but the movement has grown so much. And we're in 80 countries where we have leaders like Liz and 79 other countries who are leading a local effort in a way that's meaningful to that country, to that culture of giving. There's campaigns that aren't even in English or don't say Giving Tuesday. However, it is still under that mantle of a movement that embraces all acts of generosity. But it also, when you talk about values and methodology and how it grew, why did it grow? How did it grow? I think foundationally, it's about co-ownership, co-creation, and really tapping into distributed leadership. We have a saying, at least at Giving Tuesday, what we, what I guess you call headquarters. I don't know. I hate that term too. <laughs> but we say that it is about tools, not rules. It is about people taking and doing what they will, but us providing any learnings to infuse local communities in any way to generate more generosity in their community. And so when you say foundational values and principles, we're definitely about co-creation and people knowing where they live, knowing the best for what where they are, not us coming in and saying, this is the best way to do Giving Tuesday. This is the best way to engage people in generosity. It looks so different, but I think that unbranded mentality was why it was foundational from the beginning and then why it's grown to where it is now 10 years later. Liz, I don't know if you have a take. You've actually been around it just as long as it's been a, a concept. So No, that was that was really well said. I think I would maybe just add, we love to say everybody has something to give and every act of generosity counts. And that really embodies the whole principle, like what you call the methodology, maybe, Mallory. People can get involved in any way that they want, however generosity is accessible to them. And that's what makes it so universally appealing. It's really just about that fundamental value that we have that we want to help our fellow humans. And um, so it just crosses all the boundaries and all it unites where all those divides have divided us in the last however many years the world has been. This is a way now more than ever for us to come together and unite in generosity and not think about the differences culturally or religiously or politically or geographically. I love that, Liz. You're right. It's about our shared humanity. And it really is also about what you were just saying. It's giving agency to everyone to be a giver. And sometimes, or at least in the United States, there is a traditional view of who is a recipient of generosity and who is a giver of generosity. And when you come to something like this movement, you're coming at it when inherently you're valued for any and all of your assets, whether it's your voice, it's your time, it's your hand, sharing a meal, whatever it is that um, you have to give, you are a change agent. And that's what we believe. But I, I love that you're right. It's about being human. And it's <laughs> so, so important that it not be just about the fundraising, like really important for keeping people engaged and motivated. And that's such a huge part of the message that we talk about in our work every day is making sure that everybody can get involved. There's a great example of that. There's a group called Refugees Give. Like, Refugees Give. Wow. (laughs) That's turning the tables, right? (laughs) Yep. It's really about the refugees community giving is a campaign that's been stood up to tell your story about how you give and and talking about the inherent generosity of refugees with whatever community they join. I think a lot of people see refugees as the ones that need 
generosity and the help. And I've seen within their community of their refugee community, but outside of the new community in which they're in, there's so many expressions of generosity. So that campaign in particular, Liz is talking about, is just lives under the hashtag refugees give. And we work with a lot of refugee settlement organizations or organizations that work with refugees throughout the whole process, right, of, of their life and giving them that mic to tell their story. Okay, there are so many things about what you both said that I really want to double click on. But I want to go back to this piece around this co-creation, belonging, unbranded opportunity. It's interesting to me that you use the word unbranded. And so I want to explore that a little bit because I feel like in this day and age where people trying to get everyone's attention, Giving Tuesday really showed up and cut through the noise. And granted, this is someone saying this outside, no idea, all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into that process. But to say that you all really created a new giving moment which is just tremendous, a new moment of generosity. I don't mean giving just from the financial transaction giving. I mean, just this new moment of generosity. And there is a brand identity with that, maybe not brand in the way we understand brand, but Giving Tuesday is a known entity that people identify with, that they're a part of. It's a community that really means something. How did it do that? How did it cut through that noise with also a tremendous amount of fluidity around what adoption looked like? It's a great question. How did it break through? So there's so many things that I could say. I think the universal appeal is just so easy to join in that it's it really invites everybody in any way. And that crosses over to organizations. There are as many ways to participate as there are organizations. So a campaign, maybe it's a fundraising campaign, but it's going to have its own twist for every organization. I think an illustration of this sort of unbranded or open source, one of my favorites is as the movement grew internationally, every country that came on board decided that they needed their own country logo. So they needed something that spoke to the original idea of Giving Tuesday, but then made it local. And it turned out that every single country logo was around a heart and it had country colors or country flag elements or icons or whatever. And when you place those on a map across the world, it's so powerful to see these 80 visualizations of Giving Tuesday, each of which is completely unique to the country uh, or the area that it's representing. But that, that's tied together in a way that's absolutely magical. And nobody ever said, you have to have heart for your logo or you should you know, use your country colors or your country icon. There was no rule that said that people needed to even create a logo or have a website. So it was just people around the world saying, I'm connecting to this idea. It just gets me right in my heart and I want to do it in my country. And this is the way it turned out in all 80 countries. So I love that illustration of how that open source just completely grew organically and always in some magical way. There was no rule, but it was always for the best of the movement and for the best in those communities where it was. I think that it succeeded immediately in pretty much every country. I hear all of that, Liz. (laughs) 
And I think the other part with movements that people, when you talk about cut through the noise, well, I think of two things. How did Giving Tuesday cut through it to become what is a, like a holiday in a lot of people's minds or a staple? How did it do that? And how did it sustain it? You know, I think it's really hard for movements to sustain, to be self-sustaining when there is not a lot of structure. There is not a lot of rules. There is not a lot of intentional strategies that you export to another country. You give ideas, but we certainly don't say that the United States knows how to make this happen. No, we don't. There are some countries that do a lot of this better than we do. But I think what it is, is there's still a nucleus organization. There's an organization behind the movement. However, the only role of the organization is facilitation. It is not to mandate. And there's times when somebody's using Giving Tuesday in a way we, we're like, ah. but that's part of the movement, right? It takes a lot of actors to make a movement happen. But I think when you talk about givers and donors and there's a lot of noise and they're getting asked and then organizations too, how do they use this day or how do individual networks use this day? And I think it's because they found it a way that works for them. And this day though is really easy because it is giving them every way that they could possibly engage in. And it makes it easy. It's a low barrier to entry, right? And our, even our terminology, to be honest, I don't say donor a lot because that it inherently thinks of financial giving. And so I think because this movement has given agency to givers and made it really easy to enter and has made it really easy for people to adopt in a way that is meaningful to them, we have this underpinning, though, of an organization to help make sure that those learnings feed on each other. So when Liz is in a call with all of the other 80 country leaders and small groups and summits and opportunities that we put as foundation for them to learn from one another. And so I think that that is how Giving Tuesday has now become like a holiday to people and useful to all sorts of people and organizations, but then also how it's sustained 10 years. There's a lot of movements that gain a lot of great ground. And if you don't have some of those tenants to keep it going, some of the times they don't last. And I think it's just, we've been around a block or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're saying a few things that are really important. I've done a lot of studying around behavior change and habit building. And we had Dr. BJ Fogg on the podcast. And so we talk about what does it take for people to get over an action line? And it's the relationship between motivation, ability, and a prompt. And anytime people aren't getting over an action line, the first question to ask is, how can you make that action easier to do? And to me, this is an amazing example of that. You made the action of giving of participating so easy to do and so multifaceted and so personal that, and then likely because people were seeing a lot of success, their hope around what was possible with Giving Tuesday continued to increase. And so they kept getting over that action line year after year after year. So I just love that. And there's so much of the science that we studied on this podcast that really supports that too. And even some of the terminology, like you saying that piece around, I don't really say donors a lot, but people who are giving, even that my guess is has created some like shared language um, an identity that's perhaps different than what we hear in other fundraising pockets of the world. And that maybe created this shared identity component as well in many ways. I think that's a great point. And I'm glad that whatever I just said was supported by data. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's always, I always say that. I'm like, I love it when the science supports it. I, I mean, when it supports it. Not, I, I operate from feelings and we have a whole data team that does not operate by feelings. They <laughs> count the feelings and understand the feelings. And to your point, how it changes that donor behavior. And I think once you've gotten people over that line, as you said, they have this, I know the term's been used, helper high of just like, this feeling of it, you get actually more out of it than maybe the person or the group or the whoever it is that you help on that day. And once you cross that barrier, that feeling of, again, shared humanity is the only word I can think of, like realizing at the very core of who we are, we are humans. And that's what differentiates us from animals. We care about each other. It's about collective and communal care. And that is the only way that we are going to shape and change. And so to your point about behaviors, and we're just talking about Giving Tuesday right now. Some people might be thinking just the day, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving in the U.S. or the Tuesday after Cyber Monday. But the idea here is that this is a sustained effort. Liz and a lot of the country leaders are not just like, oh, December 1st, we were done. It is about that sustained movement, but it also is providing these touch points where people can celebrate every Tuesday and that content that you're constantly feeding to people so that it isn't, you want people to have that behavior change, but you have to continue to give those points of entry. And then using more Giving Tuesday, like a holiday or a day of celebration, but it really is a a behavior that we are trying to institute year round. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash whatthefundraising or click the link in the show notes. Okay, so you want some more science to support what you're saying? (laughs) So this is amazing because this actually aligns with another episode that we have in this series on moments with Francesco Ambrogetti, who wrote Hooked on a Feeling. And he talks about two things in that book that I think are really relevant to what you just said. One is this idea that oftentimes just a giving experience clicking that donation button is a dopamine experience. It's an immediate feel-good sensation, chemical release in the body. What keeps donors retained is when the dopamine experience is translated to serotonin because serotonin is what creates memory, what creates identity. And he talks about this idea of peak and endpoints are the primary anchors around memory. So giving our donors multiple peak points in their experience with us, some of those peak points are going to be related to giving. Some of those peak points are going to be related to calling them on their birthday, celebrating a different holiday with them, sharing a story on another random Tuesday, all of those things are what actually then cement that component. And so will you share a little bit around what we see with Giving Tuesday retention data? Because I think everything you just said about how you organize this movement and manage communications and storytelling throughout the rest of the year is likely why we see it like that. There's so much in there. Oh my goodness. No, I know. But I do think that there's a collective peak. And there's other research that backs that up from Horizon Media, actually, that talks about how people really want to give on Giving Tuesday because it makes them feel like they're part of something bigger. 
And they're talking about financial giving in that case. But I think that it translates to any kinds, any forms of generosity, honestly. So they're part of a community. They're part of an entire world that's coming together and doing something. And that's an incredibly powerful motivator. And and it's an ongoing motivator. And then when you add in the reminders, you add in the thank yous. Um, so organizations that participate in Giving Tuesday are becoming extremely creative. So they understand that the fundraising ask is only one small part of it. Stewardship, phone calls, getting the board members involved, doing thankathons and gratitude days. And we have a thing in Canada called Thank You Thursday. <laughs> it's huge. And organizations are really learning that this is an important part of the experience for the givers, the generous ones. We also have a lot of data that shows that people get involved in multiple ways on Giving Tuesday. So yes, donating is a big part of it, of course, but certainly volunteering and social media. I mean, it it started off really for a lot of the way that Giving Tuesday grew around the world was through social media. And since the pandemic, of course, really, there have been so many fewer events that social media became more important, but the movement didn't skip a beat because it was already there. So those multiple ways that people get involved advocating and in just multiple layers of engagement to the theory or the hypothesis that you just put forward, which is that is what is cementing the relationship that they have with the organizations that they're engaging with and with communities that they're becoming more married to. Something that we sometimes say about Giving Tuesday is Celeste was talking about the day of celebration, the holiday. You know how Valentine's Day is the day that we celebrate love, but we love all year round. Well, Giving Tuesday is the day that we celebrate generosity, but we are learning that generosity all year round is so important for us as humans. In, I can tell you without getting into specific numbers that Giving Tuesday in, so the latest data that's been amalgamated is from 2020. And it was, so we know that these giving moments are more and more important. And so of course, COVID was one of those things and natural disasters can be one of those things. And a lot of the social justice movements that have come up in the last couple of years have triggered massive amounts of giving and Giving Tuesday is one of those. And of all of those, the data from 2020 shows that Giving Tuesday had the most donor. And for me, what the learning is there is it puts a really big onus on all these organizations that are bringing in new donors and particularly younger donors. What are you going to do now? You've really got to up your game on the stewardship and the retention side of things. And that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Well, my guess is one in creating this ongoing community of the global leaders and then local leadership, just that consistent touch point, that being at the forefront of fundraisers' minds and there's the work that they're doing on a monthly basis really allows them, you know, we see so many one-time opportunities around training and support when it comes to fundraising, right? It's like your end of year blitz or your like December 31st email toolkit. So many of these things that have these real bookend points. And then sometimes we watch fundraisers take those, implement them, but there isn't this ongoing relationship component to it. And so it is easy then as we're 
struggling to check off things from our to-do list or these nonprofit leaders are pulled in so many directions to lose sight of the fact that it is in all those in-between moments too that actually are really critical to be building those relationships and creating those ongoing peak moments. So I really, really appreciate that. And I'm curious, I love what you said about the toolkit and then gives people a lot of opportunities to implement the tools that are right for them. And I have two questions around that. The first is, I'm curious, Neon One is actually putting together this report soon that I'm pretty obsessed with that's called Donors Understanding the Future of Individual Giving. It's an industry report. And a lot of it is driven by Giving Tuesday's data analysis. And one of the things that I found really fascinating in this report is about this thing they called golden moments. And so it showed trends based on giving and even the day and the time of day. And I know Giving Tuesday is a day already, but I'm curious if you guys have seen any trends around time of day or other surprising trends when you've perhaps looked globally, but also maybe segmented segmented by geographic location or type of organization? I'll speak to that a little bit um, as far as not necessarily numbers, but I can speak to these moments a little bit. But with Giving Tuesday, while it is a day that is celebrated that people say it's November 29th or whatever it is, a lot of our campaigns that we work with or movements, local movements that we work with, actually define their own Giving Tuesday season. So some use the day but some use the day to start something. Some use the day to end something. They do it the whole week. The idea of what times of day might be good is definitely a little easier to understand if it's a finite day and if it's financial. So for a lot of our communities, their community campaign is a platform giving day where they have all organizations in one place. They have events going on around town. It's a 24, 48 hour period. They use Giving Tuesday as the day to do it in a lot of the communities. That's a lot of the community campaigns that I work with because the, the megaphone is already there. But within those campaigns, depending on the area, this is U.S. specifically, there were definitely times that you lean into the moments in a day that people are most likely to give. And so when I was running efforts in Austin and we had these giving days and we had special prizes for nonprofits, extra money, extra challenges, extra matches, extra calls to action during the morning, midday, and five o'clock. So this is for Austin, Texas, right? We worked around like when people were at work And we're getting all the emails from the organizations and they were at lunchtime. And this is when we were just starting to see after many years of doing the campaign, I think it was like the fifth or sixth year, we could start seeing that there was a trend in times of day that people were most engaged. And it was always those hours of your natural day. And then also right towards the end of that moment, whatever that that end defining moment is, was a golden hour because that is when a lot of people come to see how their organization did, organizations they love, what people are giving to, who's hitting their goal, who's not hitting their goal. Does somebody have a new match? And so I can speak to this from a financial perspective is when it's time bound, this is how sometimes it plays out in communities when they're doing their giving days. And it just follows the natural way of a person's day and then our natural ability to win. 
and I don't mean that in a greedy way, but I just know that there were so many organizations that had their supporters and friends of supporters come in when they knew they were going to stretch goal or a new match. So it was prompts and it was also incentivization. I love the idea of calling them these golden moments, times of day. But I think there's golden moments where it's a time of day. There's flags, I think, in the ground, depending on a crisis or depending on a societal trend. And I think that is a donor behavior that we are really trying to understand. 2020 and 2021, where there was these very specific moments, obviously, where people were, were providing aid and driving participation and donor acquisition. But when you talked about it just a second ago about it's a two-way street. What are these organizations doing to create that relationship to move somebody from transaction to transformation? It is not magic. And it is definitely, that is the hard part. You've given them that moment. How do you make that moment happen several times a year? And at least with our movement, we're hoping every Tuesday that people are waking up and not just thinking about Taco Tuesday, but thinking about <laughs> like Tuesday, it's giving Tuesday. What is my family doing today? That is the behavior, the giving behavior that we want to influence. And uh, so to your point, it is about moments and it's about calls to action. And whether it's within a day or whether it's within a year, but it is also on the other side, the recipient, if it is an organization to create that relationship and that, and that ladder of engagement. I would even argue that those are moments. The peak moment is that thank you call. The peak moment is that next piece of it. One of the pieces that's really interesting is how many people don't remember giving. Like when people are asked about how much they gave, who they gave to, people can't remember. When the data around their memory really increases is when they've been called within 48 hours and thanked in a really personal way, not gotten a stock email back. Because that's the conversion to serotonin. That's the imprint in memory. I heard my whole fundraising career, call your donors within 48 hours. It makes such a difference. And I was always like, really? Like, can't I just call them on Friday? I'm just going to bucket it. I'm going to be more efficient with my time. I'm just like 48 hours. Like, why does it really matter? And finally, 15 years later, reading research about how that relates to chemical release in our brain and linking the dopamine experience to a serotonin experience. I'm like, why did no one ever just explain this to me like, <laughs> fully instead of just saying this is quote unquote best practice? And I think what you're saying that's so important, you know, someone recently said to me, I don't even consider someone a donor after their first gift. And I thought it was actually this really eye-opening experience. And it's been echoed in my conversation with Francesco as well, which is we sometimes over-assume as fundraisers that first donation is in the door, they're in. Like they're in, they're a part of this with us already. And what all those guests were saying is that doesn't mean that. That means that they had one positive experience with you and now it's your job to see if their follow-up experiences with you are going to confirm what they felt the first time. And if we don't give them those follow-up experiences, it's going to be a one-time thing. Because actually, when you go the next time and just ask them for money again, when they haven't had, they're going to be like, oh, no, you thought that was a really nice organization last time. But then actually what happened after that didn't confirm that initial belief or that dopamine hit or any of those things. And so I think it's a really interesting mindset shift. We focus so much on acquisition in fundraising. And then we know these really low sector-wide retention rates, but we don't always know how to make the connection between why is that happening? And for me, even these folks just pushing back and being like, they're not your donor yet. 
that was a one-time deal. They are not your donor yet. It was just a really big shift for me and how I think about all of these pieces. That's a really great point and counter because so working in communities, it's a a range of who I work with. And sometimes it's a really sophisticated, well-oiled organization that has got resources to run these campaigns. And and a lot of them or some of them are focused only on monetary asks. Others are about all acts of kindness. And it's about a celebration in the park in New Bern, North Carolina. It ranges, right, of what kind, what expression of generosity and what these um, movements look like. And the ones that are focused on fundraising and transactions, those are the ones that I, not I worry, but I press upon the most. I can uh, understand, I've been a fundraiser for 20 years. I understand that cash is king. You have a budget to make, you have money to make this world go around in your organization. I get that. But not valuing a person for all their assets is a huge mistake. And a lot of people will say, I just need to focus on fundraising and financial. If I give them another non-financial way to engage, then they are going to pick the lowest lift. They're not going to give me money. And that's just the wrong way to think about it. So to your point, it's sometimes just the acquisition. And then you're just like, I hit my numbers and I did my thing and I and you're usually overworked in your one development, one person development shop. I totally, totally get that. But the easiest next gift is the one that you stewarded so well. But before that though, honoring and giving people multiple ways to give does not mean that they will only pick the low lift. It's making that deeper connection with them. And I think Liz said it a little bit earlier, Giving Tuesday brings in a whole lot of money, but it it really is the millions expression of generosity that is the other piece to this. And I think it's over two thirds of the donors that participate during Giving Tuesday are doing more than one act of generosity. So that means they're giving you time and money. They're giving you donated goods and money. Or if they're just donating a good that day, what are you doing with them to end up with a monetary gift a couple of months later? So it's a constant conversation that I have in this world. And I love our sector. I've been working in it for a really long time for big institutions and small institutions, but it it definitely is very hard to have that mental shift. I coach a lot around fear, around fundraiser fear, and because I'm an executive coach and that is really what changed a lot of my personal fundraising was being honest with myself about some of the beliefs I was holding about money and value and self-worth and all these things that get so tied up in the moment of asking. And that I felt honestly, as a fundraiser, there wasn't a lot of space to talk about either. We hear things about, oh, scarcity mindset, feel abundant. And I was always like, how? Like how? I don't know how to cross that bridge from working eight 80 hours a week and hardly making enough to pay rent and this abundance mindset that everyone keeps talking about. And I love that you said the word assets before though around donors. And I think that requires a shift in organizations too, thinking about the assets of their organization as more as just the money they're bringing in the door as well. What you just said and bring it back to what Liz said earlier, my guess is a huge amount of the donor retention that you see in the participation is actually because of that dual experience, because that's the same serotonin experience right then and there, creating a memory with that organization right then and there. They didn't just click a button, not that clicking that button isn't a good feeling too, but they're getting both at the same time. And I hear all the time from like clients and people in my program, like, oh, but if I do that, then they won't do this. That story is in our head. It's not even supported remotely by the data. And so I'm curious, as you all bring folks into to Giving Tuesday in this community, how do you help organizations break through 
through some of those fears or try and test things out or figure out how to adapt them to their own organization? That's such a good question. Giving Tuesday has been a huge opportunity for experimentation with the organizations that participate. And we're not just talking about nonprofits, corporations experimenting, communities experimenting, people being innovative in ways that they hadn't considered. And for some reason, I think that because it's an unusual event, from the very beginning, people thought, oh, this is a great chance. Like, it's not my year-end campaign yet. This is a great chance to do something different. And then when it worked, they were able to carry that through to their year end. We have data on our platform that shows organizations that participate and do a good job early on Giving Tuesday, starting before, during, and then carry through, do way better by the end of the month than organizations that wait. So it's not about such a busy time. I'm not going to be able to break through the noise, so I'm just not going to do it. It's getting in there and making the ask and then doing the thank yous and then the follow-ups and the celebrating every Tuesday. (laughs) All those, as you said, all those serotonin conversions. (laughs) I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Celeste, on on the question. Yeah, because I've also been there, right, where you're talking about Mallory and this 20 years of doing this work is, um, you know, I do presentations all the time about Giving Tuesday. And there's times when I will actually do presentations and work with a community leader to talk to their nonprofits to help move this mindset from scarcity to abundance. And those are great words to use, but how does this play out in my day to day? And I have been there too when I hear somebody talking about just what I'm talking about. And getting frustrated with that because that doesn't help just using those words, right? So tell me how this works. And so I, when I was running things in Austin, we uplifted our spring giving day first, and then we became Giving Tuesday community leaders and community leader for Giving Tuesday for that area. And so we had two campaigns within the year, calling on the community, calling on nonprofit organizations to engage in these community-wide campaigns. And again, most of my time as executive director was talking to organizations about like, why did you do this? And then, for, and then after a while, I was like, well, then just don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> that is not the answer, right? <laughs> that is just last floor is being very frustrated. I took it as an opportunity to help educate and to test and to help them. But just to your point, Liz, when we first stood up Amplify, which was the day in spring, and then um, Giving Tuesday, it was really hard for organizations to wrap their mind around how do these two things hang with all my other strategies within a given year. And if you only look at them in isolation or add-ons, that's the success that you're going to experience. You have to first have a goal towards it. Why are you even doing it? Not just because everybody else is doing it or my board said I have to do it, which I love, but it's, you know, why are you doing it? Put some goals to it. And is this an opportunity to try something new? If this is like, hey, I'm just going to try this new irreverent social media campaign, or I'm going to give this campaign over to our young givers society or whatever it is to do something different with it than we haven't been done before. So a lot of our nonprofits that I was working with were either using the day as a, just to try something new, something they had not done before, or something that was going to augment another strategy they had in that given year. So we had people raise all this money during Amplify. They had all these touch points. And then on Giving Tuesday, it was a -a thankathon. And they just thanked every single donor and made sure that donor knew that the Giving Day was coming up the next couple of months. And it was just being creative. And I hate when people said that too. Just be creative. I think you can be creative when you really know what, why you're doing this. 
and how it fits within your season of work and your whole entire calendar year. That is when you set yourself up for success. That's when you see success. And that's when you start changing your mindset is how I saw it play out many times in the community. I think that's such a powerful way to end this. And I could talk to you both for another few hours. And I think we'd only touch the tip. (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been so fun. But is there one call to action you want to make to everyone listening right now or one next step to invite them to maybe think differently about Giving Tuesday or participate in a new way? Where should we send them? Well, if you happen to be a Canadian listener, please visit us at givingtuesday.ca. And um, you'll find all kinds of toolkits. So if you're an organization, if you're a charity or nonprofit versus a school versus a higher education or a corporation, there's all kinds of different kits that'll help you get started. And you can always reach out to us. We love to talk one-on-one. So just info at givingtuesday.ca. So that's for Canada in terms of resources. And in terms of call to action, if you're in doubt, yeah, give us a call. We'd love to chat. If you're a skeptic, give me a call. That'd be great. And if you're not, jump in with both feet because um, I have very rarely heard anybody say they regretted participating in Giving Tuesday. I think when we start talking to people that have been participating, they're so excited. And the research shows the same thing. Like People are inspired to give on Giving Tuesday because they're part of something. Um, Well, for just Giving Tuesday in general, there's givingtuesday.org. Lots of tools there, depending on how you come to the conversation, whether you're an individual looking to do something with your family, you're a school, you're a small business, you're a nonprofit looking to stand up something for Giving Tuesday. There's content there for 52 Tuesdays. So every Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. All of what we're talking about today is the foundation of Giving Tuesday is what we call new power. And basically, you know success when the movement grows without you but it's tapping into what Henry Timms, who is the co-founder of Giving Tuesday, coins new power. And in his book is based around what he learned building Giving Tuesday. And that is the mindset. That's all the words that we're using and all of the things that we're saying in our values is very much what he observed while building this movement and why it continues to grow. I'm not paid to promote his book, but what I'm saying is that even um, (laughs) Stanford's innovation There's an article of his that actually talks about new power. And then he has a book that augments that. But that will hopefully then give you the inspiration to try something new. And if you have a really, either you had a bad experience with Giving Tuesday, don't like Giving Tuesday. I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like the day. Give it a chance and really understand the intention of the day and what it could do for you, your organization, or your community. Thank you both so much for your time and for everything that you do and just sharing all of your wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for what you do, Mallory. Okay, first things first, there is a lot of data to support the conversation we had in this episode. So if you want to read the numbers or some of the trends we talked about and get all of the show notes, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. You'll also find more information there about lists, Celeste, Canada Helps, and Giving Tuesday, along with links to tons of helpful resources. But here are a few high-level takeaways that I also want to make sure you leave today with. Number one, it's about tools, not rules. A co-ownership mindset means providing tools to make sure that everybody can get involved in their own unique way. 
too. It's about givers, not donors. It's so clear how important it is to explore the non-financial ways in which people can get involved. A financial transaction is a short-sighted way to view generosity. And Giving Tuesday is about so much more than that. And three, build Giving Tuesday and community giving days in general into your year-round strategy. These shouldn't be standalone moments or peaks. Giving days are the most powerful when they are integrated into all of the other work that you're doing. Okay, again, for all of the other big tips and tools, as well as some of the data and research behind the themes talked about on today's episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And thank you as usual for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for our giving moment focused on monthly giving programs. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.